Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World. Today's episode is going to be an immense episode. It's going to be completely different to anything we've covered before. We've done a lot of things in the smart speaker space, and we've done a lot of things around development and and a few things around design and stuff like that. But what we haven't done yet is taken the whole concept of voice and transferred that into either the mobile space or the web browser space. And that's exactly what we're going to do today as well as cover plenty of stuff for all of you UX designers out there, graphical UX designers out there, who are thinking about considering moving over to the VUX voice user experience design space. We have an extremely special guest joining us today. He is Brian Colcord of uh, Voices. He is the VP of Design at Voices. We're going to find out all about Voices, what the platform is, what it does, what Brian does and what his role is all about and how he made the transition from graphical user experience designer over to the voice world and how you can do the same too hello there brian hey guys how are you doing very, very well. Thank you very, very much for joining me. Voices no looks worries. like an immense, an immense uh, platform and, and company as well. Um, let's let's have a chat about yourself first, Brian. Let's kind of discuss your sort of background and can you tell the listeners of VUX World a little bit about yourself and your background and, and what you do at Voices? Certainly. Um, you know, I've been fortunate. My career has really spanned uh, a... Um, a broad change in technology. So I, I basically went to college and there was America online with dial up internet. And then I graduated college four years later and there was high speed internet and the internet as we know it today. And so I kind of graduated into this, this dot com space and, and you know what, over the past kind of 20 years, uh, I feel like technology has grown in, in leaps and bounds. So it's been really a uh, an interesting journey for myself as a as a designer and a, an illustration major when I started in school and uh, kind of coming into the design world and playing the role of um, almost every designer type in the book, I would say, over the past uh, 20, 20 or so years. Um, you know, I t- over time, I, I started my own business. I had my own company for a while and I taught myself a lot of things and I've always been a tinkerer. So it's uh, the kind of felt right for me. And I, I kind of was self-taught and kind of had to, had to, uh, learn on the fly, so to speak. Uh, so I think that that experience was really great. Um, as I kind of moved more into the, uh, into the corporate world, um, where I really kind of became a, uh, a very much more, much more of a, uh, focused product designer, uh, at log me in my previous job, uh, where I was at for about six years. Um, and that's really where I learned about, you know, building, um, products and, and, uh, you know, the mobile space really blew up during that time frame, And, uh, I really kind of built my UX chops there. And, uh, now I'm onto voices, which is a, uh, a whole new chapter, I guess you could say. Wicked. So you started out then kind of when you were sort of going through the education stuff, doing actual illustrating as in sort of drawings yeah. and il- illustrating in, in that sort of respect. Yeah, it was interesting back then because I, I was really starting to push the boundaries there with technology. You know, this was back when, you know, Photoshop 2 was out, I think. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I was illustrating um, on on a Mac using a, a, a stylus. Um, which was something that was completely foreign to most of my instructors. Um, I took a class on it and that was kind of my first introduction to, um, you know, kind of working on the computer. And I, I got really interested in design my freshman year, um, you know, taking those foundational courses. And it was something that really stuck with me. And, you know, I kind of realized early on that it was going to be the more commercial success for me where I'd be able to to make money doing it and make a living um, as opposed to being an illustrator. So it was a good choice to move the way I did. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And then log me in. That's that's a that's a really successful company. That's that's the company behind uh, Join Me, isn't it? Is that right? Correct. Yep. So, um, ironically, uh, I I started by um, designing the first iteration of Join Me um, when I had my own company. Um, I had done the brand mark and and the first versions of the interface uh, for that product itself, um, and then I kind of moved on to working at, uh, at log me in. Um, and yeah, I think that was a, again, it was another really interesting kind of time, 
time frame from, you know, like 2010 to kind of 2006, seven, where, you know, mobile, you know, I think the iPhone three was still out when I first went there and mobile was kind of this like novelty um, when I got there. And obviously when I left, um, you know, it was a huge thing with, you know, the, the uh, explosion of apps and, and, uh, and mobile phones and the power that, uh, that those had. So, yeah, it was a good time frame to kind of be in a place um, that was a very innovative culture and um, really took risks on things. Um, it was still kind of a startup vibe. And um, yeah, so it was a good experience there to, uh, to kind of cut my teeth. Wicked. And you had, you, so you had some experience designing in, in all kinds of areas. And one of those was for the Apple Watch as well. Do you want to tell us a little yeah. bit about how, how all that come about and what, what it was that you were working on? Yeah. So we, um, I forget exactly how it played out, but we were kind of a, a preferred um, partner or something like that for, with Apple. And um, when the watch was about to launch, um, they asked some companies to kind of come up conceptually with some ideas uh, for how they might utilize the watch itself. Um, and so it was one of these things where we were kind of, this was kind of just put on our plate and we kind of were tasked with figuring out what the best uh, route to take was. Um, and I kind of look at it as a, it was just another kind of pivot in technology and, and user interactions. Um, you know, these wearables were starting to pop up here and there. And, you know, this was kind of the first foray into um, actually kind of, mass interaction on your wrist. I mean, you had like Fitbits and things like that, but, um, there was no really, so I, I think what was really interesting about it was, um, you know, that there wasn't really any patterns or, or anything to follow or to research to kind of understand, um, you know, the mental model of the user and how users might, might utilize the watch itself. And the fact that it wasn't available to play with, um, was just kind of a dark hole, so to speak. There wasn't any kind of uh, understanding about how it worked or what it was capable of doing. So, you know, a lot of the early concepts were, you know, just basically taking your app and like reincarnating it on this screen that was, you know, a 16th of the size. Um, and, I, you know, as we kind of worked on it, we quickly started to figure out that uh, it became fairly obvious that, you know, finding that core interaction, that one thing that your app does really well or or that the watch itself could help to um, enhance was really the, the, the feature to focus on um, with the watch and keeping it really simple. And, and um, I think a lot of the kind of the watch apps that are out there now that are useful and successful, um, you know, really kind of solved that, nailed that, um, that single thing that, that makes it, uh, you know, work in that, in that form factor. Mm. It sounds like already there's some sort of similarities in there then in terms of yeah. obviously you've got sort of experience in, in kind of dealing with and, and figuring out emerging platforms and some of the things you mentioned there seem applicable in the voice space as well in terms of I know you've you've written about the fact that there isn't necessarily you know design patterns like the <clears throat> excuse me like the burger menu for example which is now a mm -hmm. kind of commonplace thing there's no real similar things for voice and then also another problem is where people and brands may well be trying to just as you to use your words reincarnate the app experience in the sort of voice space so it seems as though the same kind of stuff is is kind of happening is that what you're finding with voices and, and moving into the voice space yeah i think um I, yeah, definitely. And I think you kind of see that with all of the, all technology shifts. I think, you know, you saw it from, you know, in the late nineties when you went from print to online, like basically it was just, you know, websites were basically brochures that were online that were kind of indexing content, like a table of contents. And then when the mobile kind of, uh, evolution came along, um, you know, you saw people trying to adapt, uh, again, more brochure things and, and figuring it, trying to figure out how their brand kind of fit in the mobile space. Um, and then the watch and then vo like you said, voice, I think is the next, uh, well, for us, from our perspective, you know, it's the next, um, kind of, uh, challenge that we're all faced with as designers to figure out, um, how to solve that. And, and I think the people that are going to, or the companies that, that do figure it out are the companies that are going to be the ones that are, like you said, making, um, adapting that, you know, what their brand promises and what they're, they're going out to the market with and adapting it, um, uh, to interesting ways to interact with that brand, not necessarily the same ways that we do with, um, with, you know, 
traditional um, touch or 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 um, point and click interfaces. Mm. And one of them companies, obviously, helping brands to sort of do that is Voices. Do you, do you want to tell people out there who may not be familiar with Voices a little bit about what Voices is? Yeah, sure. Um, so we're a Dublin-based uh, voice technology company. We've got um, offices in Boston and Edinburgh. Also, um, I'm in the Boston office. Um, and, you know, we really believe that that all interactions with technology can be as natural um, and as efficient as as human ones. Um, and, you know, in that vein, what we're really trying to do is bring or give any business the ability to create their own brand specific natural language voice experience. Um, you know, we really want to kind of bring that uh, that passion for, um, you know, natural interactions with technology to the companies that we work with mm-hmm. so if if um let's say for example a, a brand is looking to, to to kind of figure out how voices might be able to help them then what are some of the mm-hmm. things that voices do as a company that will enable uh, a brand to do that and to help brands out in, in that kind of respect you've been focusing heavily in the e-commerce kind of sector at the moment haven't you Sure. Yeah. Ecom was kind of the first, um, I guess, you know, we're a general platform, but, um, you know, Ecom was kind of the first productized quote unquote, uh, um, vertical that we wanted to play. in. we thought there was a lot of opportunity there. Um, but I mean, simply put, basically what we do is, is we, uh, we combine your data with our platform. Um, the platform is obviously powered by our proprietary voice technologies. Like um, we have our own ASR, our own NLU, our own deep learning engine, um, our own text-to-speech. Um, so we combine your data. So, for instance, with an e-com company, that might be your product catalog um, and uh, our platform together to essentially build an intelligent voice, artificial intelligence um, and then that deeply really understands the specifics of your products, services, vocabulary, um, because we've basically ingested your your product catalog. And then it becomes accessible via um, a number of ways. Um, you can use an API. Um, you can use uh, a JavaScript library. Uh, we have SDKs for both Android and iOS. Um, so that's kind of how it works. Um, you know, but as an example, uh, you know, imagine if you're uh, like a footwear company um, selling sneakers online or something like that or selling shoes online and you want your customers to be able to shop for shoes on your website using voice. So our solution for commerce um, allows users to search, refine, buy products um, all using their voice um, and using natural language to do so. Um, so if you think of a current kind of mobile experience in um you know, uh, for a retailer, uh, there's a lot of kind of drilling in, like if you're looking for a specific pair of shoes or a specific type of shoe, there's a lot of either tapping and drilling or, uh, searching and filtering, searching and sorting, all that stuff. Um, and our, our voice layer, um, basically can bypass all of that. Um, so you can ask for very simple things like, um, show me, men's running sneakers, or you can ask for very um, complex things. You could say, uh, you know, show me the latest Air Maxes from Nike uh, in size 14 that are under $130, uh, for instance. So you can you can essentially do a lot of that stuff that um, you're doing in a graphical interface that's taking you multiple taps and multiple interactions to do in kind of one step. So really what it is, is it's increasing the efficiency, increasing, increasing the, um, you know, the, the, uh, the time to finding what you're looking for. And then ultimately, hopefully increasing, um, you know, decreasing the time to cart. So, uh, you know, you're working faster through that process. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of how we're focusing on, on retail. Um, but as a broader, uh, picture, um, you know, we're we're also trying to play in other spaces as well. It's not just an uh, an e-commerce solution. It can, you know, we've dabbled in the entertainment world, um, you know, and healthcare and stuff like that. So it's there's a lot. I think there's a lot of applications um, that we could, uh, you know, that we could work within. Mm-hmm. So and and for those people, just to kind of paint a picture in in sort of people's minds in terms of how 
they might sort of start interacting with this thing is am i right in thinking that it'll be something similar to um you know if anyone's used a web uh, some kind of like the echo sim sort of website or any website like that where it'll allow you to kind of speak to it essentially it's kind of like a little microphone in the address bar is it is that how it works or is the microphone yeah it could be um i mean one of the great things about our platforms it's really flexible we're we're really just powering the entire experience um you can you can create and put uh, however you want to interact with that, that voice AI, um, you can, you can do that in any way you want from a design perspective. Uh, you know, you could put it in the search bar, you could, uh, have it only on certain pages, you could, uh, put it in your regular taskbar, whatever, wherever and when, whenever you might want to display it, um, it's possible, but, um, yeah, so it's, you know, it's, it's super flexible. Um, and again, we allow, you know, since we know, all about your product catalog and your products and your um, and the data that goes along with all of those products. It increases accuracy, it increases speed, um, and it, and it increases uh, the ability for us to get super custom with uh, your specific use case. Mm. And obviously, this this kind of thing is is a incredibly new kind of thing it's just starting to to kind of surface around the internet i mean we've seen something the other week about spotify trying kind of trial mm-hmm. a little sort of microphone to let people interact with that via voice and we've got kind of like google now on the desktop have got the little microphone there so you can use that um to mm-hmm. search uh, so it's kind of a it's, it's a really sort of new concept in terms of being able to interact with a web browser through voice and also um you know apps on mobiles and things like that and i'm wondering whether the, kind of from your experience so far whether you've seen any patterns emerge design wise in terms of where to place the icon how to get people onboarded in terms of using these features have you got anything that you've found works particularly best to get people um, starting to use this kind of voice interaction in an environment where typically they'll be just looking and clicking yeah that's an i think that's ultimately going to be the um you know finding those solutions is ultimately going to be the, you know, the thing that sparks um, adoption of this. Um, I think where Google and, and Alexa and, and a little bit um, in terms of Siri, like, you know, as they came out specifically with the speakers and it's a, it's a uh, kind of a singular interaction with just your voice. It's not multimodal. It's not with voice and visual. Um, I think that, you know, just using those two things, those two products, I think, um, you know, f- taking them out of the box and, and using them was, was pretty intuitive, but I think where the, where you kind of get the letdown is when it doesn't do something that you assume it's going to do. Um, and so, um, I think one of the good things that they've done is they're, they're on top of getting and both of them do this. Um, they're on top of kind of getting you, uh, communications in front of you, uh, you know, very often about new things that you can say to Alexa or new things that you can say to Google Home. And um, it just kind of plants ideas in your mind. Um, And those things are very kind of, um, those things are very kind of uh, broad as well. Uh, Speaking about, you know, the the Echo and the the Google Home itself, um, you know, you can do a lot of different types of things with that. Uh, I think a lot of the companies that we've started to work with and talked with, um, they're very kind of focused use cases. So they're more um, focused on maybe shopping for a specific thing and shopping in and of itself has its own patterns that are, that are kind of followed. Um, but to be honest with you, you know, we've, we've experimented with, um, you know, placement of that stuff and even talking uh, placement of the icon, but even talking with companies, um, you know, they all have different needs. Like some of them look at it as a very uh, search specific thing. Some of them look at it as more of a, um, a site wide thing. So I think, you know, how you're applying it depends on really what you're trying to get out of it. Um, if you're really only trying to augment your search experience with it, um, it would make sense to put it in the search bar. If you're, you know, if you're really trying to be, you know, make it become a you know, a quote unquote assistant across your entire website. So, you know, if you need support or something like that, or you're looking for products or you're, you just want to navigate to a page, um, you, you know, you would need to figure out somewhere to put that icon that's kind of global and, and is easily accessible from anywhere. Um, and then like, there's obviously ergonomically ergonomical things to think about, um, 
you know, with the icon as, as we've kind of tested some different placements, you know, bottom right, bottom left, top right, you know what I mean? Where there's, you know, where you have to reach for something uh, that you're also trying to speak into at the same time, you, it can get a little bit clumsy. So I think there's, there's still some, you know, on the mobile, especially on the mobile um, space, I think uh, there's still some, some understanding and testing to go to, to do to, to kind of really understand how people are going to use that stuff. Um, and then at the end of the day, like, it, uh, like I said, I think it, it's, it's just necessary to place it where it, it becomes most useful or helpful for your user. Um, so I think just obviously keeping that in mind. So I haven't, I wouldn't necessarily say I've identified any patterns as far as like um, UI placement with the mobiles, um, you know, with the mobile stuff, just because it, 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 it just hasn't become a thing yet. Um, I, I think Spotify, I was using it the other day, you know, it only shows up on the search screen um, and it's in the bottom right and you can tap it. Um, Alexa on the Amazon app is, you know, up near the search bar in the top right hand corner. So I don't necessarily know. Um, it's not like the hamburger menu that appears in the top left or the top right, um, you know, and, and it's this kind of established thing yet. And again, I think it'll be it'll be based on, um, you know, what you're really trying to do with the application. I could eventually see there being apps that aren't, that don't have necessarily have a, a a traditional graphical you know interface. It could just be a voice button that you're pressing. So it it might be more front and center than something now where you're just trying to introduce it to users in a way that is you know basically a feature that's helping to augment your existing experience. So you mentioned in there about uh, you know some apps might may become the equivalent of essentially just a kind of voice interaction where in, you know they might just have a sort of like an icon to enable the voice thing front and center. I mean, in sort of like almost like replacing what is now the equivalent of like a search bar sort of thing. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it could be a thing where, um, you, you know, it's just it's just you're using your voice to navigate around content. Um, you know, it's not there isn't a need to have a structured navigation menu or something like that it might just be a an app that's that's doing things for you based on what you're asking it to do um i think we're a little bit away from that but you know at the same time i think you know if you look at interfaces you know over time like they evolve like that to make it so that things become you know some things become extinct some things become more front and center um and so you know and then again what the app is actually really trying to do um Hmm. Cool. So um, that's the sort of voices um, sort of uh, platform, if you like, and, and what it does and how it kind of works and things. What's hmm. what's then, can you tell the listeners a little bit about what your role is within voices and kind of what's gone into the whole sort of voice user experience side of it? Yeah. Um, you know, I think kind of joining the company, um, uh, it was it was something where I looked at it and I had taken some time off to kind of figure out what I wanted to do next. And so, um, long story short, I you know was referred through a colleague that actually works here now as well. Um, and I've always been the type of person that's interested in kind of the newest things. I really like to figure things out. I'm a like I said, I'm a tinker or a builder. And I felt voice was a a really new, fresh opportunity to kind of apply um, what I've learned. Uh, in my career to date and kind of how to approach new challenges. So I felt like that was a good um, jumping off point for me. So kind of what this role, I think, from my perspective is and what's kind of involved in it is, is it's a little bit of everything. Um, it's a little bit of uh, work, prototyping things, uh, testing things. Um, so coming up with, you know, ways that we can um, display the interface or use the interface or overlay the interface um, and then testing those ideas, uh, experimenting with that kind of stuff. And then also, um, you know, uh, there's kind of a consultant angle as well with with um, new customers as they as they start to ask questions about design and and how to approach uh, integrating uh, the design into their into their applications. Um, and so, that's kind of my role right now, which is, uh, you know, being somebody that loves to tinker and experiment um, is a is a fun thing to kind of uh, take on. Is just kind of working on prototypes and learning and learning about, uh, you know, 
how people may interact with those things uh, mm. going forward. Cool. I mean, we kind of touched on on sort of a, one of those challenges there in terms of going forward, figuring out how to get users to to be more comfortable with these kind of things in um, environments where traditionally it's kind of like eyes and fingers or whatever. Um, what are some of the other sort of um, challenges that you've had to to overcome or research problems that you've had to figure out since you've sort of started there at Voices working on this really sort of it's a really new kind of technology and a really new sort of interface. What are some of the challenges that you've sort of faced since you started? Yeah, I think um, I think one of the things as a designer, um, it's I, again, I and I think I maybe wrote this in that blog post, but um, you know, just understanding what the technology is capable of. Um, you know, everybody talks about AI and voice, and we just assume like, oh, it's magic. It's you know, you can do anything with it. And um, and I think that you know, one of the biggest things, one of the biggest hurdles is really understanding what the capabilities are and what the limitations are with the technology itself. Um, and, you know, I think once you kind of get a grasp on that, it helps you to kind of think in a little more context about, um, about what's possible right now. Uh, that's not to say things won't be possible in the future, but, um, I think that was, you know, kind of a, an initial hurdle for me to get over is to really understand what the technology is and, and how it works. Um, from a, you know, you know, when designing um, voice interfaces, um, I think one of the things is obviously paying attention to the type of voice interface you're designing. So um, if you're doing a multimodal um, voice interface where you have a graphical interface to help augment that experience is kind of very, it's very different than kind of designing for um, a voice only experience or like a, a zero UI experience where you don't have a graphical interface to help kind of guide the user. Um, so I think that approaching those two different things is a very different animal. And that was something that I wasn't kind of accounting for when I, when I first joined. Um, but seeing how, um, you know, using Alexa and using Google home, um, seeing how that differs from being able to talk to an app and then see um, specific things coming back to you uh, when you say something, as opposed to completely conversational where it's a, a back and forth um, conversation, basically. Hmm. And do you think the user behavior is is it's a lot of sort of like different in, in, in those two environments sort of thing? Like if if people are kind of interacting with something that is predominantly graphical with a voice kind of um, element to it. I don't know whether or not you've kind of noticed or if there's been any research that you've been doing or or whether you can kind of theorize on it, but would, would people's type of interactions with those two modalities be different in terms of when someone's interacting with Alexa versus when they're interacting with, for example, an e-commerce website? Is there anything that might be different about how a user might behave in those two sort of environments, do you think? Yeah, I think... Um... Again, I think I think we're you know the voice the voice the, the the zero UI experiences now they you know they're they're very kind of limited in what you can do. So you know buying a sneaker so to speak on Alexa is basically out of the question unless you're kind of repurchasing a sneaker that you um, that you've ordered in the past or something like that. Uh, but you know there are certain things that you need to see, um, and I think that you know people. I don't know if they built them up yet, but um, I think the indicators are that, you know, people understand that the, um, you know, Alexa and Google's of the uh, assistants of the world um, are there to do a certain job for them. And then they have these other um, things that they go to in order to, um, to complete other jobs. And the metaphor I always use is, um, you know, sticking with the sneaker metaphor. Um, I'm a sneaker guy, if you couldn't tell. Um, <laughs> Sticking with the sneaker metaphor, uh, you know, it's it's the difference between asking your 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 assistant if you have an assistant, and you say, "Hey, uh, assistant, can you go buy me a new pair of running sneakers?" Versus walking into a Nike store or a an Adidas store and saying, "Hey, I'm looking for some running sneakers." That person at the Adidas store is going to ask you a bunch of questions and and is going to have a bunch of knowledge about the inventory that they have. Um, whereas your assistant going to the sneaker store is not going to have all that information. They're just going to go there and do the tasks that they've asked you to do. So that's kind of how I would explain the nuance between kind of the, the graphical, uh, interface helper, as well as the voices kind of, um, 
the voices intelligence around um, brand specifics versus kind of uh, the Alexa and the Google of the world that kind of is a very overarching assistant um, that is kind of doing, you know, things, things that are kind of mundane or, or not mundane, but things that are, that are more kind of singular. Um, they're not getting super deep into the, into understanding the content of, of, of a brand or a product catalog. Mm. Yeah. And there's obviously some things as well, which, you know, you mentioned the, the kind of shop assistant there who might be able to advise you on the running sneakers and look at your gait or whatever. But there's also some things that you just, especially if you're looking at trainers, you, there's an element of you just want something also that looks cool and you can't really sort of, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you, can't, you can't see that, can you? On, on voice only kind of uh, yeah. zero UIs. Um, and I see, you know, I think, I think, um, you know, it's been interesting We've talked to a company, a couple of companies that that do uh, groceries, and I think that um, you know what's interesting about that is is um, you know you could do that with a zero UI, but it also helps to see to get kind of um, I think one of the pieces of feedback is it's nice to get back um, a, a confirmation that you're talking about the right thing. Um, so like you may recognize something from your pantry that you normally get some sort of soup or, or beans or something like that from your pantry that you normally get. Um, you know, when you're saying it to a, a voice assistant, they're saying it, the brand name and the name of the thing back to you, but there's no visual kind of communication back that, um, yeah, that's the one that I have in my pantry that I wanted to get a new version of. Um, whereas, you know, when you have a, a graphical interface and you have the ability to surface that product and then show that exact thing, oh yeah, that's the exact can that I wanted, um, or that's the exact package that I wanted. Um, I think it just helps. And maybe that's just a product of the fact that we're, you know, potentially weaning ourselves off of that, um, you know, weaning ourselves off of that, the way that we currently search and shop for products. Um, but I think, you know, I think real life is a good example of all of this where, you know, you walk into a grocery store, you see everything. You mm. know what I mean? It's not like you're standing outside the grocery store on the phone telling the <laughs> the guy inside, hey, get this for me. Get, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I think that I think that it's a good metaphor that, you know, people are visual people. And, and um, you know, I think that's where uh, having the, the multimodal experience is really beneficial. Yeah. Um, and those types of things. Yeah, that makes a huge amount of sense. That yeah. So you were talking just then about sort of at the beginning of this piece, you were you were looking at when you'd kind of started at Voices, and you were sort of looking at some of the the limitations of the tech, in mm-hmm. in in sort of like the Voices world and the work that you're doing with clients, and and then your sort of aspirations for the future. What because what I'll do is I'll, I'll in this in the show notes I'll link to a really interesting podcast with uh, Peter Cahill, who is the mm-hmm. CEO of Voices it's called the AI in industry podcast and he, he discusses a little bit about how all the AI works in the background and how and how it all kind of hangs together and how you then go about indexing people's product catalog and stuff like that and you've spoke yeah. Brian about you know how kind of sophisticated you can get with your searches so rather than having to you know click on your filters in your sidebars you can just say show me some I don't know black Nike trainers under a hundred pounds size eight or whatever sure. um so that it's it sounds to me. I mean, I haven't I haven't tried a website that's using the Voices product yet, but it sounds as though you know it's performing pretty well in terms of being able to drill down into the searches. But then, what are some of either the limitations that you're referring to earlier on, or some of the things that in the future you would like Voices to be able to do to enhance enhance that kind of shopping experience? Yeah, and, and again, the caveat: I'm not saying that it's limited. It, you know, just understanding the technology of kind of artificial intelligence and and speech and and how you know speech technology works. Um, you know, it isn't it, it like it isn't magic. And I think um, you know, as we kind of uncover more things to use it for, we're certainly innovating, and we've innovated on on a number of things to kind of um, satisfy, uh, you know, new things that are coming up in the market. Um, and I, you know, I think, you know, in the future, um, you know, voices, you know, voice, the technology is going to evolve. We're in the very early stages of this and, you know, it's going to evolve and evolve and evolve. So I don't, I wouldn't say that there's limitations. Um, there is 
probably now and there are limitations, you know, walking into a, a new company blind and, and just assuming that there's magic going on. Um, but yeah, so I think, I think, um, I mean, I think to kind of, you know, I think, I think in the future, um, you know, there's, there are boundless, uh, ways that people are going to use voice. Um, you know, I, I think you're already seeing it with, um, you know, autonomous, autonomous vehicles are going to get there eventually. Um, you know, the IOT space I think is going to be huge. So I think that there's just as when the IOT space kind of blew up three or four years ago, um, you know, there was a lot of different, it was really interesting to see how things that you would never think needed to be internet enabled became internet enabled. And then all of a sudden, like, wow, that really makes sense. You know, these thermostats and then the information that they can give you and all that kind of stuff. So I think voice is on a similar trajectory there where it's, you know, I think it'll start to get incorporated into um, things that we've never even thought of before. Um, you know, I was a child of the eighties, not to date myself anymore, but um, you know, I, I grew up, watching stuff on television and in movies that w- that seemed unattainable back then, you know, shows like Knight Rider where he talked to his car and his car did stuff for him. And he, you know, back to the future Two, where, you know, you use your thumbprint to kind of do everything. Um, you know, the original Michael Keaton Batman, where, you know, he'd talk to his Batmobile and turn shields on and off and make it come find him. That was all crazy stuff going on back then that seemed completely unattainable. And here we are on the precipice of all of this stuff happening, I think. Um, and so I think that, you know, as, as the need evolves, um, platforms like ours, um, are going to evolve with it to, to adapt and, and, um, you know, make things even more awesome. So. Mm. And now what we need is a, is a car that not only is voice enabled, but it'll also send us hurling into the future as soon as we reach 88 miles an hour. Exactly. Fantastic. So you're, you're one of the people who has made the transition from the kind of graphical UX sort of design space and graphical design space over into the voice world. And I think that over the next certainly three years i reckon that there's going to be a hell of a lot more people uh doing the same sort of thing and you got kind of we're kind of already seeing that with things like you know the alexa skills that you know there's something like thirty thousand skills in the alexa sort of skill store and there's more and more ux sort of designers who have had the ears pricked by the voice space and who might be interested in in uh, making a bit of a pivot and, and transitioning into this kind of space and you've mm-hmm. you've wrote sort of a, a really interesting article on this and i'll link to that as well in the show notes but i'm wondering whether we can cover a little bit of it here for those um, who, are, who are listening. So you're kind of talking about some of the similarities from transitioning between graphical sort of design and, and voice design. And we'll kind of talk about the, the, the similarities and differences in a second. But just in terms of sort of from your perspective, what's it been like for you sort of transitioning from the graphical side of things to the voice sort of th- side of things? What's, what's the whole sort of experience been like and what are some of the things that you've, that you've noticed? Sure. So, you know, I think I mentioned earlier, um, you know, I've been fortunate to span a very kind of interesting part of history and technology growth, I think. And, um, you know, I, I think in the article, I, I likened it to, you know, when, you know, mobile apps became a big thing, like, you know, you were a web designer in the mid two thousands and then mobile apps became a thing and, you know, people transitioned into designing for, applications, which was a, you know, a variant or a very different kind of, um, approach, uh, to, you know, for, for companies, um, to do. So I think that, that kind of making that transition, um, from being a web designer to being a mobile designer was, uh, or a mobile app designer was a very, um, similar type of jump where, you know, you're changing form factors, uh, you know, there's new limitations with screen size, with tapping, but there's also new opportunities with, you know, uh, gestures and those types of things. Um, and so I, I would liken this transition for me uh, to being a very similar experience to that, where um, I think if ultimately if you're the type of person that likes to solve problems and you like to figure things out, um, which most designers, most good designers are, I think um, it, I think it, it, it's a, it's a great opportunity to kind of get in, um, to this next thing. Um, you know, this voice thing, uh, 
and, and I think, you know, just kind of doing your research, um, you know, consuming as much as you can um, about, you know, about what's out there. And uh, I think you even mentioned this in the article, but using the stuff that's out there um, to see what, you know, what the, you know, what it's about and, and, and uh, things that work for you and things that don't work for you um, and watching your friends and family do the same things. Um, I watch my kids use Siri constantly. Like you ask them what Google are, what Google is. And they're like, what do you, why do I have to Google stuff? Like, why can't I just say to Siri? So it's, it's a very different mindset. And I think watching different types of people, um, you know, which is something that you should be doing with, you know, in traditional product and UX design, um, you know, watching people interact with these things, um, will give, you know, will help to open your eyes. Um, but I think, you know, you asked about similarities, um, in, in, in kind of visual UX design versus voice UX design. And, um, I always go back to, you know, my approach really hasn't changed. I still, I, you know, I take a very kind of scientific approach to things, uh, to my design work. And, you know, it's, it, it, most of the time it's always going to start out with establishing what the problem is, what a hypothesis might be and some experiments to run and then running those experiments and, and learning from that and, you know, and iterating on it. Um, so I think that that approach uh, definitely still applies because really at the end of the day, what you're really doing is trying to help your users get something accomplished, right? So it's, um, you know, being user centric is is about, you know, making your user the star and making them feel good and making them feel comfortable. Um, and I think at the end of the day, that, that mindset is uh, still part of the main focus of, of what you're trying to do. Um, and then I think the last thing is, you know, designing apps, uh, you know, designing apps and websites is, is really, a, if you think about it, is really kind of having a conversation, um, you know, with guiding people down a, a path or, or helping, help, helping them find their the information that they're looking for and letting them know if they've made a wrong turn or made an error or done something that, um, you know, is great or something like that. So there is a, there is a dialogue there. Um, but I think, you know, the similarity is in the fact that there's a dialogue where, you know, I think it's important in a graphical interface to, um, to understand what the error states are and what the points of, um, delight are where you can kind of, um, you know, congratulate the user on things. And I think the same goes with, um, these conversational kind of natural, uh, voice interfaces where, um, you know, there is, there is still a dialogue with, with the, the thing that you're interacting with. Um, so I think there's a similarity there where you kind of have to, um, you know, design for, uh, you know, design for that dialogue. Mm. And so what then is some of the, maybe some of the differences, if, if there's, if there's some UX designers listening to this, who are, who are kind of, let, let's say for for example, there's, there's a UX designer and they are going to be uh, starting a new job next month as a voice user experience designer. What's the, what's some of the first things that will strike them as being different about working in the voice space versus working in the, in the graphical kind of space? Yeah. So there's a few things that I kind of, um, you know, stick in my mind about that. And, and one is something that I mentioned earlier, which is, um, you know, understanding the interface that you're designing for. So if you're designing for a zero UI versus a, a multimodal UI, um, I think there, you know, you have to understand um, that those are kind of two different animals. Um, and so I think, you know, just being understanding and, and um, delineating between the two and, and what might work best or, or not work best for your users um, is obviously a, a thing that needs to be decided. Um, I think the biggest thing for me is designing for variable um, inputs and outputs. So if you think about kind of graphical interfaces, they're very rigid. If you really think about it, there's this architecture that's exposed to the user, um, you know, whether that's an app or whether that's a, a website. Um, there is an architecture that's that's exposed uh, that you're basically navigating through an architecture of information. Um, and I think that with voice design, there definitely still needs to, uh, an architecture still needs to exist. You know, you need to kind of, you know, create good data, so to speak. Um, but I think, uh, I think with 
designing for voice, there are those variable inputs and outputs. So, you know, somebody can say anything to the, to the, to the system. Um, whereas in a graphical interface, you kind of go down a path, you, there's labels on things. There's, there's a clear way to get to the next thing. Um, so I think that understanding, um, you know, the conversational nature of voice interfaces, uh, where there can be variable things that the user is giving you and then variable things that you're giving them back. Um, it's a very different thing. Like out go out the window goes, you know, traditional IA documents and, and kind of, uh, and kind of, um, architecture documents. And I think it's, it's more about, you know, designing in that conversation. And, and, um, I think, you know, ultimately that's how voice is going to become great is when all of these types of things are somehow, cataloged all together so that you know there's a really good smart thing and you know we at voices are trying to do that where we are collecting data on a daily basis about you know how people are asking for things or um, how they're expecting the system to reply so it's i think that's really important to understand and that's one of those things that um to delineate it's not about kind of um, traditional site mapping and wireframing um anymore, so to speak, but it's more about um, the conversation. And then the last thing um, that I've kind of run across in my experience has been um, user testing itself. Um, you know, so it's one thing to have um, kind of paper prototypes or very low, low-fi prototypes for an app. Um, it's one thing to build some click-through things in Envision or in Sketch or whatever your choice is. And, and um, you know, have some users click through that stuff. I think with voice, um, there's that added element of audio um, where, you know, testing that is a very kind of, um, it, it's it's been a tricky thing for me to kind of get to uh, a really great way to do that. Um, so the user testing is going to, you know, is something that will definitely change in how you test, um, how you test your, your experiments. Um, will be very different than how you would test a, a graphical interface. Yeah. And have you had to sort of like with that, have you had to sort of like create, you know, like some sort of Wizard of Oz kind of testing or would you have a mock-up website where yeah, you would index so far? We've done it a couple of ways. Um, we have a couple of demos that we've put together that we use um, um, to test and that helps us to understand, again, uh, actually having the tangible thing in your hand and using it helps you really to understand about a lot of the ergonomic interactions, but also the, um, you know, the, the things that people are saying. Um, so I think ultimately the ideal thing is, is having that, but um, we've also tried to do a really um, lo-fi study where um, I think it was for, uh, you know, asking for groceries or something like that, where we just built a PowerPoint deck with a bunch of items on different pages and then ask them, you know, how would you ask somebody for this? You know what I mean? So it was like, it was kind of like a, like a Warshack test where you, you just put that, you know, the item out and then you ask them to, um, to put their conversation in context and kind of understand how they would naturally um, go about doing that. And I think I read somewhere, I think uh, maybe it was Cortana. They were talking about how Cortana, they were trying to, you know, they're part of their research was going out and actually following around, um, you know, actual executive assistants <laughs> because they wanted to understand about how a really good assistant would function. Wow. Um, and so I think there are a lot of kind of lo-fi ways you can figure it out. I, th I just feel like it's a, it's a bit different than a lot of the traditional um, UX testing methods that are out there. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, before we wrap up then, Brian, uh, quick last final question. What's your favorite pair of sneakers? <laughs> I'm a huge Air Jordan guy. Nice. Um, so my, hence my 80s upbringing. But um, <laughs> I, um, Air Jordan 3s are my favorite. Yeah. The, uh, the three, the white, the white ones with the cement. Nice. We, yes. uh, my favorite pair in the nineties, which is now, I think probably still my favorite pair is the Air Max BWs. Yeah. Those are good. Yeah. Yeah. I got a denim pair like of those style. a few months back. Yeah. <laughs> I'm liking them. Nice. <laughs> or the zeros. I'm fond of my yellow zeros. They are. There you uh, go. Yeah. Yeah. 
classic. So where can people then, Brian, find out a little bit more about Voices if they wanted to kind of explore the product and, and what you do a little bit more? Yeah, so you can find us obviously at um, Voices.com, um, just V-O-Y-S-I-S.com. And uh, we're on Twitter as well, um, at Voices. Um, so hit us up up there. Cool. Um, what yeah. about yourself? You you obviously you do quite a lot of writing. You obviously know your stuff. What if people wanted to kind of, you know, check out what you've been up to and, and sort of get some more sort of insights from yourself? Where could people sort of follow you? Yeah, so um, our blog is obviously a good spot for that. Um, uh, LinkedIn, um, I'm on and and I, I dabble in Twitter a little bit. I'm not a huge tweeter. So, mm-hmm. um, but at B. Colcord is my, uh, my Twitter handle. Cool. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Brian. Really, really appreciate that. No worries. That was Brian Colcord of Voices. Thank you so much, Brian, for joining us. That was an immensely interesting episode. We covered a hell of a lot more ground than I thought we would, actually, and there was bags of insights in there for for VUI designers, VUX designers, and UX people who are looking to transition or interested in the transition from graphical um, user interface design or UX into the sort of voice world. There's loads of insights in there from Brian. Super smart guy, super clever guy. A link to the Voices blog and the posts that we were talking about uh, from Brian. There's a few really interesting ones in there. One's called Designing for Voice Interfaces and one is called You're Already a Voice Designer, You Just Don't Know It Yet. And that's talking about some of the similarities that we've been discussing between you know, the, 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 the differences, sorry, the similarities between the UX side and the, the VUX side. Um, do check Voices out if you're a brand that has either an e-commerce site or a site that's looking to enable some kind of voice interaction or even an app that's looking to to enable some sort of voice interaction do give them a shout check them out a link to the ai and industry podcast as well um, with the voices ceo uh, and that gets into sort of detail with peter cahill that gets into detail about how all the back end hangs together and stuff like that if you want to learn a little bit more about that uh, and yeah thank you so much to brian for joining us thank you all for listening and until next time see you later